1 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 to 22. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. So, when I was in Bible college, they taught us you always got to start off your your sermon with a captivating story or a joke or an illustration whatever you do it's got to be something that's going to capture the attention of everyone and get them listening right from the start and I thought for a while about how I'm going to do that with today's message because we're all very different sorts of people some of us are really deep thinkers and really love to chew on the word of God and because you know that God doesn't want us to just love him with our emotions. He just doesn't want us to just love him with our feelings. He wants us to also love him with our minds. And I hope and I pray that as you hear these messages each week, um, you're beginning to love God more and more with your mind. And you're beginning to become somebody who wants to chew on God's word and think deeply about what he's saying. Now, if I was wanting to capture the attention of these sorts of people, I'd probably start out by saying that today's Bible reading is one of the most difficult to understand passages, not only in the New Testament, but in the whole of the Bible. And to even begin to understand this, we're really going to have to chew on it and we're going to have to love God with our minds. But the problem is, if I started out the message by saying that, then that's going to turn a whole bunch of other people off. Because some of us, well, we don't really like to chew on on the word. And and we just, that just all sounds way too complicated when we just enjoy a simple take-home message that I can easily remember and it's something I can apply to my life and in, in my walk with God. And to capture the attention of these people, I'd probably say that today we're going to be talking about the spiritual realm. Peter's going to be opening up to us the spiritual dimension of good and evil, of God and Satan, of angels and demons, and how the fallenness of this world and our salvation in Christ have a deeply spiritual dimension to them that impact our lives daily as we live them. But then there's other people who love the abstract and the obscure and the weird And to capture their attention, I reckon I'd probably say that today's Bible reading contains some of the most obscure and bizarre verses that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. And I've read a whole bunch of commentaries and I've found four major theories as to what different people think it's about. And and these are good, solid rock Bible scholars and yet they all disagree with each other. 
And for some people, they're going to be, that, that's something that's going to really pick their interest because they'll probably have their own pet theories and they'll tell me at the end why I'm wrong and, and, and how they actually know what it means. All right? So now, what I've done now, I think I've made a rod for my own back because I, I, I've given you three different introductions and I don't know whether now everybody's interested and excited or whether it's turned everybody off. So maybe the best way is for us just to begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your holy scriptures. And we ask that you would open these up to us today, that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand what you are saying to us and that you would touch our hearts, drawing us deeper into your will. Amen. Right, so you've probably picked up by now that there's a couple of very difficult verses in this passage. The main point in today's reading is actually pretty easy. It's, it's about the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the spiritual dimension to salvation. Even if we should lose our physical life in Christ, we are spiritually alive. Not even the, the evil one can take that away from us. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the whole spiritual realm are now subjected to him. He has overcome them. Jesus Christ is supreme. Now, that's not difficult to understand, is it? You, you all understand that? I'm, I'm looking to see some noddings of heads. If you don't, shake your head and, and um, I'll tell you again. Righto. So that's not difficult. What is difficult is the example that Peter uses to, to illustrate that point. And the example actually, I, I find it doesn't do a good job as an example. It, it leaves me with more questions than what it answers. So the way I thought we'd attack this today is we'd have a quick look at the difficult part and we'll see what we can and what we can't make sense of because I don't want to just skip over it. But I don't want us to get bogged down into pet theories when Peter's really only using this as an illustration of his main point, which is easy to get. Okay, so the tough bit is this. It's when Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now that's not the difficult part. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Right? And the difficulty arises because Peter doesn't really explain it. There's an unanswered who, when, and what. Who are these spirits that Jesus preached to? When did Jesus preach to them? And what did Jesus preach? And the short answer is, we don't know. There's several major theories, as I said before, but as I said, I've read four major theories and every one of them disagree with each other. So here they are. The first theory is that the spirits Jesus preached to are the angels who stepped out of the bounds of God's order in Genesis chapter 6, just before Noah's flood. It, it tells us of a time when the angels took human women as their wives, and the theory is that Jesus preached to these imprisoned spirits, okay? So because they'd stepped out of order at some stage, they must have put into some kind of spiritual prison. 
and Jesus preached to these in the day and a half that Jesus was in the grave. So that's the first theory. Now, if that, now having said that, we don't know what he preached. The second theory is the spirits Jesus preached to rep represents the people that Noah preached to, right? So if Noah was a prophet, he would have been preaching by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And if Jesus preached by that same Holy Spirit, it could be said that the same Jesus who is proclaimed it today preached through Noah those thousands of years ago. Now, there is an element of truth to that. If the Holy Spirit is at work in the, through the preacher, Jesus is at work through the preacher, right? So today as I'm preaching, if the Holy Spirit is doing his work through me, Jesus is doing his work through me. So there's an element of truth to that, but I, I don't think that's what he's talking about. The third theory is that when Jesus died, that wasn't the end of him. Those who flogged and crucified him may have killed his body, but they didn't kill his spirit. And when Jesus descended to the dead, his spirit was very much alive. And Jesus was very active when he descended to the dead. Because when he did that, he did the same that he did anywhere else he ever went. He preached. And this interpretation holds that Jesus preached to the spirits of the people who died in the flood. But what we cannot know is what Jesus preached. Because their lives were cut short, uh, does that mean that Jesus gave them yet another chance to, for, for them to turn to God and ask for forgiveness? Or because they ignored the preaching of Noah, uh, did that mean that then Jesus just went and preached judgment to them, the, the coming day of judgment? We don't know. Which brings us to the fourth theory. And you, you probably know by now that when I give you several options, I always leave the one that I'm leaning towards until the end. The, the fourth theory is similar to the first one. Um, and the reason I lean towards this is because when the Bible talks about spirits, I can't think of when it's talking about people. Um, you see, human beings have a spirit, but we are not spirits. Are you with me? And so whenever, at least in any instance that I can think of, when the scriptures talk about spirits, it's talking about either angels or demons. And so where the fourth theory differs from the first one, in part, it is how, we, how the scriptures interpret the original Greek word, Lackey, which which is in our translation today was it jail spirit no prison spirits in prison um, so it can be translated that same word can be translated as jail or prison or to be watched over or to be a place of refuge now that might seem a bit strange that they almost sound like opposites but let, let me give you a, a um, an English equivalent. So in English, we could use the phrase, keep watch over or guard, right? And it can mean two different things. You can keep guard or to keep watch to in, to in effect create a prison. Or 
you can keep guard or keep watch to create a place of refuge. You, you with me? And that Greek word functions in the same way. So, in, and in fact, if we go to the second letter that Peter wrote, he uses a very similar word. It's, it's almost the same word, just a different ending to, to change the tense and whatnot. And he uses it to describe the way that Noah was preserved, right? So the same word can function in those two different ways. So it's a bit ambiguous as to whether the spirits are locked up in a prison or whether they're set aside in a place of refuge as such. But who are the spirits? Well, in Genesis chapter 6, it describes the increasing corruption on the earth. Uh, that, and God decided to deal with that corruption through the worldwide flood. And part of this corruption had a spiritual dimension to it. And I think this is really revealing to us that the corruption in our world today has this spiritual dimension to it. So back then, some angels took human women as their wives and they bred what the Genesis calls the Nephilim, which were giants. And so in Peter's letter, it's really hard not to connect these fallen angels of Genesis chapter six with the spirits in Noah's day that he refers to in Peter's letter. So I'm pretty sure we have to go with the spirits idea. But the thing is, are these demons yet imprisoned, right? So they're fallen angels, that means they become demons. Are they yet imprisoned? And I think all the evidence for that is no. Satan's evil minions, his demons, are actively trying to deceive the children of God. We saw, you can see in the gospels, how Jesus was constantly dealing with demons. They seem to be able to wander around and, and do what they like until Jesus comes and intervenes. They, they weren't imprisoned. Um, the teaching of demons today is trying to lead people astray in the church. We read that in various letters in the New Testament. And even when Jesus cast a whole legion of demons out of the man who lived at the cemetery at Gerasene, the demons, what did they do? They begged Jesus to let them take refuge in a bunch of pigs. And Jesus allowed it. And so in a way, Satan and his demons have a temporary time of refuge. On the day of judgment, they are gonna be thrown into the lake of fire. That's, that's for sure, that is a certainty. But until that time, God has allowed a time and a place of refuge even though they've already been overcome, right? Their fate is assured, they will be thrown into the fiery pit, but not just yet. And we can catch a glimpse of this in Revelation chapter 12. Um, you can, and if you, when you read that, you don't fully understand it, you can go back into our um, sermons page on bushdisciples.church and, and you'll find an explanation for that in Revelation chapter 12. But as I said before, so that's the one that I'm leaning towards. But as I said at the beginning, we can't nail it down. Uh, Peter's, we can't nail it down with confidence. And I can't tell you this is exactly what it means. But what I can tell you with the utmost confidence is what Peter's main point is. 
Okay, so we've been working our way through Peter's letter. And last week we read about how he's been talking about how disciples of Jesus should live righteously. Even if we're being persecuted, what do we do? We don't retaliate and we don't repay evil for evil. Remember we used the example, you turn the other cheek. And, And this is what Jesus did. And even if it should lead to death, death is not the end. It may seem like evil is getting the upper hand, but it's not. They took Jesus's physical life, but Jesus was spiritually alive. And what did Jesus do even after they took his physical life? He proclaimed, he preached. All right, so if Jesus preached to the spirits, to the fallen angels, to demons, what do you think he might have preached? I think it's probably what we're told in verse 22, where the resurrected Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. I reckon he was preaching to those evil spirits and telling them of their demise through his resurrection the whole spiritual realm is now subjected to him. Jesus Christ has overcome them. He's supreme. So that's not hard to understand, is it? You've got that? A few noddings, righto. So what does it mean for us? Well, this should be a tremendous encouragement for us. Who feels encouraged by this? That Jesus is supreme, that every power, every authority is under him. He has dealt with them. Neil's excited about it. Good on you, Neil. I knew we'd get one person excited about this. (laughs) And we'll just assume that everybody listening on the podcast there is excited too. Yeah. Righto. So it's a tremendous encouragement. And this is why Peter brings up the Noah example in the first place. Just like Noah was saved through the waters of the flood in the ark, Peter tells us that just like this, we have baptism, right? Baptism corresponds to this. What does your baptism mean to you? It's not about washing the dirt off your body. If it was, that the baptisms that we have in the muddy old Boulogne River wouldn't be doing a very good job. It's not about washing off the dirt. Baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ suffered for us. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And that's what baptism's about. We are brought to God through baptism. We submit ourselves to him as an appeal to God of a good conscience. God, I give myself to you. Lord, I die to self. And with baptism, as we go down into the waters, 
we are baptized into the death of Jesus. And as we come up out of the water, we rise to spiritual life in Christ Jesus. Our spirits are alive. And we're going to learn more about that next week when we get to chapter 4, and particularly in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 4. Because in those verses, Peter's going to be talking about preaching to the dead. Now, some of what makes today's passage a little bit hard to understand is because in the very next chapter, he starts talking about preaching to the dead, and we've just heard about preaching to the spirits. Let's not confuse the two. He's talking about two different things. In chapter 3, he preached to spirits. In chapter 4, the, the dead are preached to. And it goes on to explain what the dead are. The dead are the spiritually dead. And that basically means anyone who hasn't yet become a Christian, right? At one stage, we were spiritually dead. At one stage, I was spiritually dead. But now we are alive in Christ. And that's something to have a great deal of joy about. Today is the first Sunday of the new year. Who got a bit of a shock the first time they had to write, oh, hang on, it's 2021. Who, who really took notice when they, who hasn't even written 2021 yet? Oh, some of you haven't. Yeah, holidays have been way too long. I seem to have written it a heap of times already. But New Year, New Year's resolutions, eh? It's a time when nicotine replacement sales go through the roof, as do gym memberships and dietary supplements. All sorts of people make all sorts of decisions. It's a new year, I'm gonna change this little thing about my life, right? But you know what? As disciples of Jesus, let's forget about the new year and let's start thinking about the new life that we have in Christ. Being spiritually alive means we are very different to when we are spiritually dead. And so instead of having the attitude, it's a new year, I'm gonna do something to change this about my life, let's have the attitude, it's a new life and I am changed for all eternity and I'm going to live as that changed person for Christ. But what about for those who have not yet responded to the gospel? You know, Peter actually gives us a bit of a reminder here that there is an end to God's patience. He talks about God's patience, but we see that there is an end to God's patience. God's patience, he said, waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. But in the end, only a very few people were saved, only eight in all. And so we know that there is an end to God's patience. The whole time that Noah was building that ark, he was preaching for the people to repent. How many were saved? How many listened? Eight. No, pretty much his family. They sort of had to listen to the crazy old, old dad. Likewise, we're in a season now where God is patiently waiting. The gospel is being preached. 
It's being preached here. It's being preached across Australia. It's being preached across the world. It's being preached in places where it's dangerous to preach the Word of God. Christians are being persecuted even though they preach. But even so, they keep on preaching because we know that we will be blessed if we suffer for righteousness sake. That's what we talked about last week. But we're being reminded here that this time will run out. God's patience will run out. Jesus Christ has gone into heaven. He's at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers subjected to him. That means everything. That means every spiritual being, that means every political force, that means every king, every ruler, it means your boss, it means you. Everything has been put under Christ, subjected to him. There's nothing left to be done. There's nothing left for him to conquer. At any moment, Jesus will return. And the question is, am I ready? Will we be ready or will we be like the people in the days of Noah where only a very few were saved? So we've been talking about how to be a child of God, to be, be a Christian, we become spiritually alive. Is that you? Are you spiritually alive? Maybe you might have been going to church your whole life. Maybe you might say an occasional prayer. Maybe your parents have brought you up in the Christian faith, but you've never actually gone, Lord, this is, becomes the most important thing to me. I yield myself totally to you. See, that's when you become spiritually alive. We have the opportunity as we give ourselves totally to him to become spiritually alive and to be baptised into the name of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has an enormous spiritual significance for the human race. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus, there is no spiritual life. And the question for us is, do we enter into this? Do we enter into the death and the resurrection of Jesus and become spiritually alive ourselves? So, a question for every one of you. And I hope at this stage, you go, why is he staring at me? It's because I want every one of us to answer this question. Are you spiritually alive? Or is God still patiently waiting for you? And have you been baptised? You know, a lot of people put baptism off. Ah, baptism, that's not so important. It's just a religious act. I, I don't need to be baptised. Yes, you do. Baptism is very important. It, it's not an empty thing. We're told here it's an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, that sounds pretty important, doesn't it? Sound important? 
And I believe there are some who are hearing this today who know that God has been patient with them long enough. For some of you, it's time for you to take the step and surrendering your heart totally to Jesus. And for some of you, it's time for you to seek baptism. And I want to urge you, if God is speaking to you today, you need to be faithful. You need to be bold and you need to act on it. And make sure that you talk with me today. Today, notice I said today. Because we have a way of going, oh yes, I might do that sometime next time. I think so and so is free. And then we put it off and put it off and it never happens. I urge you to talk to me today and we will act on it. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He has overcome, so let's not watch on. Let's get into the ark of baptism as such and be saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, just a simple and short prayer today. Lord, I pray for those who have heard this message. Lord, I pray for those who you have been speaking to by your Holy Spirit, that they would listen to you, that they would hear you, and that they would respond to you in faith and in actions, that they would respond to your Spirit in belief and in baptism to be saved. And Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you and honour you as the one who is supreme. You are supreme over every angel and every demon, over every power and every authority. You are supreme. You are Lord. You are our Lord. Amen.